We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. As you can tell, this is not Adam Paris, the co-site overlord of brewhoop.com. Unfortunately, Adam had a medical emergency that kind of puts him on the sideline and we did not think it was worth him having an appendectomy type game. So thankfully, I still have Riley on the podcast. (laughs) So how's it going over there, Riley? Oh, I'm doing better than Adam. Adam, feel better. I'm sure you will make a full recovery, and everybody, don't worry. We think he is in good hands, uh, even though I have it on good authority that some of the people he went to advice for did not think he had appendicitis. So uh, <laughs> definitely don't consult WebMD. Uh, see your medical professionals, everybody. But otherwise, I am good, Kyle. How are you doing? I'm not, I'm doing pretty well. It was pretty cool. Ford Madison had their first ever game last night, so was at a watch party. There's 130 people. Um, unfortunately, they lost, but oh. yeah, it was pretty sweet just attending that. And otherwise, I think we're getting spring weather. It's kind of teasing me right now, but it's right around the corner. Yeah, it's like 60s up here in Minneapolis, which is a genuine miracle. Though I think, and I can't confirm this, but I think they said there might be snow later this week, like midweek. So, uh, what a big surprise. Yeah, it's unfortunate up here, but uh, <laughs> at least, you know, you had yesterday with Ford Madison. And on top of that, you got to watch the Bucks Nets game, which must have been one hell of a one two combo of things to get to enjoy. Yeah, it was quite the game. On one end, I was very excited for a Ford Madison game. And on the other end, I probably cared just as much as the Bucks in this game. And they unfortunately lost 128 to 133. Giannis did not play in that game. Uh, he was ruled out due to calf soreness. But they were still a pretty full squad, quote unquote full squad. I mean, they still didn't have Brogdon or Miritich or Snell. But it was kind of a Eric Bledsoe takeover type game where he was the one that was leading the charge um fortunately they couldn't quite pull it out they were it, it felt like it was the game where they just struggled to take a lead and hold on to it, it felt like they were either down six or down 12 and they come back and make a run it, it was just kind of that ebb and flow type of thing yeah it was a weird like right out the gate the pace that the game was being played at i mean it was crazy especially the first six minutes like possession after possession just run it run it run it from both teams and then it seemed like uh like I said, Eric Bledsoe had a good game, but otherwise it's all credit to Brooklyn. I'd have to pull up what their shoot numbers were, but it seemed like they made every single tough shot. I think they shot, yeah, 42.2% from three, 49.5% overall. And a lot of that, I think I was looking around and it, they almost played or like outplayed the Bucks at their own game offensively, where it was like, okay, we're only going to shoot near the basket or from three. I think only 3% of Brooklyn's points came from the mid-range, whereas Milwaukee's had 14.1% of the points come from mid-range, which is not super typical for the team. So I think it was, as usual, as almost every single game that Giannis sits in, it's quite obvious that the team is uh, a little bit different when Giannis isn't out there kind of bending defenses or just dominating defensively himself, kind of flowing around and uh, helping out Brooke. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing that I noticed. I mean, like like we said, Bledsoe had a great game, 12 of 17 overall, 5 of 6 from 3, which is really impressive, 33 points and 11 assists. And after that, it was kind of like no one else really had a great game. Like Pat Connaughton was 6 of 8 from the field, which was pretty good. Middleton, Sir, how, sir, how, di- how dare you disrespect Ursan Ilyasova turning the clock back for like a four-minute period in the that third is quarter. True. That, I was going to get to that. That f- stretch of Ursan in the third quarter was... I, I don't know how to describe it besides the most un like unintentionally hilarious moment of the game. It it was just like he was kind of just trying to be honest, but it was like it was kind of like it was just in slow motion, like it was on half speed. <laughs> yeah, especially when like he was he was bringing the ball up in transition. I was like, man, this is this is tough to watch. He was like trying to slalom between defenders and find trailing guys like on the three point line. It was uh. It was quite quite a moment. I'm sure he was looking forward to it, though. It's uh, especially after apparently picking up another nasal fracture, not even having the mask out there. That's a bold decision on his part. Yeah, I I don't know how you manage to break your nose this many times. At, at one point, do someone does someone come up to you and be like, "Okay, you need to wear the mask because this is like after the second or third time, you would think 
<laughs> like you would think after that, it's like, okay, maybe we should wear the mask. He's so used to the pain yes. at this point. It's like a dull, just dull aching in where he thought his nose is. Maybe he's just got a fake nose. Maybe they just need to replace it with like a bionic nose. That's the next move. Or he could be like, uh, what's the dude in Harry Potter with no nose? Oh, Somebody Voldemort. Know? Voldemort. Yeah, we have our, <laughs> Ursan could become our own uh, in arena Voldemort. <laughs> but yeah, so with the rest of that Nets game, I mean, Kind of like what you mentioned, it, the Bucks were able, shooting-wise, they were kind of consistent with the Nets. I mean, they were 16-34 from three, which was 47%. And Milwaukee shot actually higher field goal percentage with 55.7. But kind of what you mentioned, the Nets seemed to hit every timely three that was needed. And, you know, they're good players. They're good shooters, I should say, were hitting threes. I mean, D'Angelo Russell was three of four. Joe Harris was three of six, especially late in the game. He had a couple. Um, Karis LeVert was four of five. And... It was kind of just that kind of game where I think with a healthy Giannis, Milwaukee easily wins it. But it just seems like other than Bledsoe, no one on Milwaukee really seemed to hit that second gear. And maybe that's just a factor of they already got the number one seed clinch. And it's kind of just more of a just make sure to knock an injured type of play. But it kind of seemed like especially DJ Wilson and Brooke Lopez, they were kind of rendered ineffective that whole game. Yeah, it was. I think we have to give credit to Kenny Atkinson for making the adjustment where I think Jared Allen only ended up playing 12 minutes and he's usually a pretty big contributor for him. But Atkinson saw the fact that without Giannis out there and given just kind of Lopez's slow foot speed, if you are able to kind of have a perpetually small lineup out there, it makes it really difficult to have the zone drop function. And a, a lot of the times the Bucks kind of had to switch over or kind of change over to a switching scheme every once in a while, which because of Lopez and get, because of Ursan, they're just not nearly quick enough to be able to keep up with that. And so they were able to take advantage. And again, this is an example like DJ Wilson out there. He's not nearly as much of a safety blanket as Giannis is, especially on the defensive end. So Lopez was left even more on an Island than he usually is. And so the Nets were able to convert inside over and over again. So credit to the Nets for adjusting. And uh, even though, you know, they really needed the win, so I've been mean, good for them. I'm sure they were super excited and their fans did help cement their playoff position. But I, I'm not sure if I would say the Bucks didn't quote unquote, you know, it wasn't that they were resting or kind of going 50%. Like, you know, they kept it close throughout the entire game. And if Giannis was out there, if you have any of the guys that are nor uh, normally out there who are injured, I'm sure I would go completely the other direction. Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, Brooklyn definitely needed it with that win. It put them in six in the East at the moment, and they have a one-and-a-half game lead on that ninth spot. But it's still kind of interesting just because between six and tenth, it's only two-and-a-half games that separate them. And I know it's kind of a lot of crazy scenarios which each team can clinch today. But, yeah, I would say maybe Milwaukee went at like 75% speed except for Bledsoe. He seemed to really go all out for it, um, probably because he saw D'Angelo Russell getting hot early. It was like, I'm – I'm not going to let this continue. He's like, I have to answer. I can't let him uh, disrespect us like this. So <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it's games like this where you're just like, wow, I can't believe Eric Blitz. So it's, it's amazing. Like he's 29. So he's not, you know, super deep into his career, but just his ability, his like first step or when he gets going, especially he gets a screen or something along those lines, the quickness he's able to blow by dudes and get to the basket. It's really impressive. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I think, and I saw Brian or at Bucks Film Room kind of tweeted. Oh, wait, was, did we just reveal it? Do people know his name? Was that was that a revelation? I think he said it on his own podcast, which you should also go and listen to, uh, the Bucks Film Room podcast. But I think he said his name before. Okay. But, right. <laughs> but it he had mentioned on Twitter that he's not sure if DJ Wilson will be getting playoff minutes once Miritich is healthy. And I I don't know if that's going to be accurate or not. Like, there's kind of both sides of it. With Miritich, you kind of have that space in the floor kind of guy, knockdown shooter. Um, he's not terrible defensively. And DJ Wilson is kind of the opposite where he's pretty good defensively. And it's his offense that might let him down. So I was kind of curious. I don't know if he's going to get the minutes because I think it's pretty confident that out of the guys on the bench when this team's fully healthy, that Tony Snell will play. Um, Sterling Brown has, I think, locked uh, – at least some rotation medicine. Pat Connaughton also can be a spark plug. So it's kind of just decided between Ursan Miritich and DJ Wilson for the backup four spot. And I don't know who's going to get it besides Ursan. So what do you think about that, Riley? Yeah, I think 
and we kind of talked about this last week and the way that Bud approaches playoff lineups, especially. And again, a lot of this is dependent on how, how Miritich is healing. We haven't really, I don't know if you've gotten really an update on how his recovery from the broken thumb is going, but assuming that's kind of still on track so that he's returned by the playoffs, I can't imagine anybody other than Miritich and Ursan getting the minutes just because like we discussed previously the way that bud generally goes about his lineups is he's very like starter heavy and then it appears as though he picks out just like two or three subs that he really trusts to kind of get out there and soak up the rest of the minutes and i just given nikola miritich's track record his consistency from three whereas dj seemed especially as of late has seemed to be a little bit more up and down um and you kind of go in there assuming you have Giannis out there and you're able to kind of stagger the lineups properly where the defense where Nicola isn't necessarily like a dominant individual defender, but he's able to function quite well within a team defensive concept, especially this kind of def- team defensive concept. So as long as you're able to stagger things properly and kind of have Giannis out there or, you know, however you end up working it out, as few Nikola Miritich and Ersan uh, defensive lineups as possible, I can't imagine anybody other than uh, Miritich and Ersan getting those backup four minutes. Yeah, it's and I think it also is going to be matchup dependent just because if you play a team like Orlando, um, you're probably going to want to maybe throw DJ Wilson out there just to defensively uh, play with Aaron Gordon when Giannis is out. But then when if you're playing a team like Brooklyn, like or not well, Brooklyn, I don't. Yeah, Brooklyn, I don't think DJ Wilson would be out there, but maybe Orlando or Detroit. Um, those are two teams that DJ Wilson defensively has done pretty well against. So. That will be interesting. And the reason why I guess Milwaukee was able to go at 75% speed and Giannis didn't need to play is on Thursday, Milwaukee was able to go to Philadelphia, make a comeback win, and beat the 76ers, clinching the number one overall seed. So they'll have home court advantage throughout the whole playoffs. Um, it was a pretty, pretty great game, if you ask me, Riley. I don't know about your thoughts on it. I, uh, too, was ecstatic. I'm really upset that Adam is not here this week because he was in the arena and he chronicled his experience with a lot of images on Twitter. I believe his roommate was with him and his roommate was wearing a authentic fan Sixers like beaded necklace, which was which is, might be the corniest giveaway I've ever seen. Yeah, it, well, I, I appreciate that the guy wore it with pride, even though they lost. So shout out. I believe his name is Quinn. Shout out to Quinn. Um, no, I think it's this kind of game to be able to secure it, especially over the Sixers who, as everybody knows, I loathe. Um, and in Philadelphia, like I'm not that big into like, Oh, you have to clinch it at home. You know, you beat one of the other rivals or supposed rivals in the East and you do it in a way that it's like a statement game for me on Like again, national TV. And even though he didn't have like the flashiest stat line versus the Rockets a couple weeks ago, or like whatever last week, two weeks ago, um, he was able to step up and he, you know, massive 45 point game, however many rebounds, however many assists I have to pull up the box score. But it was notable in that we had discussed in the last time these two teams met the fact that both sides kind of had out of, or- out of the ordinary shooting lines. And so far as the Bucks kind of shot, poorer than usual and the Sixers shot a little bit better than usual and this time around um both sides kind of shot more towards their seed season averages and so the way that that kind of worked out was it gave Giannis a blank canvas upon which to really impact the game and you know he followed up the last time he played the Sixers with a massive score line and he did it again today and it, instead of last time where he wasn't getting nearly as much help he had a couple other guys assist him along the way and you know you get a win yeah, he had 45 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, and out of he only took 22 shots, which that is incredible. It helps that he went 16 of 21 from the free throw line. And I know I saw some people complaining about how Giannis, anytime Giannis got the ball, it was an automatic foul, but it was like half of the time they were just wrapping him up before he can get to the rim. Like they knew they're going to take their chances of him missing a free throw than Giannis dunking on it or getting you know, even a layup, which against Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons just didn't want any of Giannis as he is a bleeping baby. Um, (laughs) But it was kind of funny because Philadelphia shot 50% from three. And, you know, it's one thing to call it an outlier shooting night, which I I know that's kind of a common thing to point it to. But, I mean, there are good shooters like J.J. Redick was five and nine from three. Mike Scott maybe was an outlier going six of eight, but he was open and a lot of those were in the corner. Um, Joel Embiid, who's not really a great shooter, shooting 30%, he did that same thing going three of nine. So it was just, even though Philadelphia shot the three ball pretty well, it's not like it was, I mean, they gave it to their good shooters and they got it in good spots. While with Milwaukee, it kind of was the opposite. Like Giannis had 
tied for the most three-pointers. He was three of seven. Middleton was three of six, but then Brooke Lopez was only one of seven. Um, George Hill, who we'll talk about later on this game, he was two of three, but otherwise it was kind of a quiet night. I mean, Sterling Brown was only one of three. DJ Wilson was one of two. Urzan was one of four. So not a lot of threes from Milwaukee besides those from Giannis and Chris, which is kind of weird to say. But, I mean, a good chunk of that was because Eric Bledsoe got ejected on a very, very, <laughs> yeah. very soft <laughs> technical. Like, I'm not going to argue the elbow that he gave Embiid. That one, sure, no problem. But the fact that he, the throwing the ball was warranting a technical, I, I just think it's really soft and completely ridiculous. But that's what's the opinion. What's the phrase? It's not the initiator. It's when they catch the reaction or the retaliation. It's that's the second guy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what happened to Eric there, unfortunately. But, I mean,. <laughs> What do you have to say about the Bucks to the fact that they lose Eric Bledsoe three minutes into the game and yet they still stun on the Sixers and get the get a six point win on the road? That's you know, shout out to everybody else, especially Giannis. Like I'm sure he enjoyed getting 45 points and slamming it and denying Embiid over and over again. Like, you know, this is an MVP. Like if you were going to condense his entire season into one game to be like, this is what he's doing this year to have an MVP worthy campaign. This would be the game. So uh, shout out to Eric Bledsoe. He probably was like, ah, I'm a little tired. So maybe he went into the game hoping to get ejected three minutes in and uh, you know, get a little rest. Maybe that's, he's doing some inside baseball there. Yeah. I was going to say clearly got the rest he needed because he came out with a lot of energy against Brooklyn. So maybe yeah. that it did help, but I think the biggest thing for me was it was the comeback in the fourth quarter. I mean, Milwaukee, it was it was close throughout the first half. And then it just seemed like Philly was hitting shots and Milwaukee couldn't do anything in the third quarter and looked that yeah. most of that way in the fourth. And then all of a sudden, I think it was, I think Philly was up like 102.95 or something. Embiid had hit a three and then Giannis just came right back and hit, answered it with a three. And I think that was really the play where you kind of looked and it, was, it just turned around from there. Giannis was blocking and beat shots, was able, George Hill was phenomenal. Gigantic, gigantic. It, you know, he had 20 points, 7 of 13 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3. He just was everywhere, it seems like. He was hitting timely shots. He was, I was kind of saying, like, someone on Milwaukee needs to step up because Middleton was kind of in and out of the game, both shooting-wise. Like, he was good in the first quarter, then it seemed like he didn't play really the second quarter, didn't really do well in the third and then the fourth it kind of seemed like he wasn't there but then george hill stepped up and it was you know that's kind of like it's funny that he was able to make that impact just because of the lack of guard depth i mean he played 33 minutes so you know with blood still getting ejected someone had to take those guard minutes so it kind of went between him and pat Connaughton. and i think it was just like that fourth quarter comeback it showed that you know last year's bucks team would have easily just let that snowball into a 20 25 point loss and for how shorthanded they were to turn around and do it on their own court and play and it wasn't like they did anything different it's not like they went to a zone or they decided to switch everything they just played their game and it showed the difference just how the quality of the team the depth of the team was on display and philly didn't really have that depth unfortunately like jimmy butler was out tobias harris was kind of anonymous i mean jj reddick was good but he started missing his shots and bead was starting to labor and ben simmons is defensively it seemed like ben simmons was just afraid of the game in general like he didn't really do much offensively and then defensively he just got bullied balled every single time like Giannis saw him it's like okay Here's an easy two points. I was going to say, if you watch like uh, condensed highlights of the game after the fact, it's like almost all exclusively Giannis, like just shoving Simmons out of the way and slamming the ball. It's like <laughs> every single highlight cut is like, oh, and there's uh, Simmons trying to post up or trying to stop Giannis from posting up and Giannis just scored again. Like that's, that's all it was all night long. <laughs> but one of the key plays, um, you're going to have to answer for your boy. Zaire Smith yeah. missing that layup, and then yeah. immediately on the other end, George Hill hits a three. So, um, yeah, Riley, how do you feel about your boy? Well, so I want everybody to know that as soon as that happened, Kyle was right in the DMs. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even have a minute to process it. He was already, he must have had that like copy pasted ready to rock and roll to hit send when it happened. Um, what I'm going to say is uh, it's a real shame that Zaire is a sixer because if he was on any other team, I would be a lot more excited for him. And he's still coming back from having to have a uh, a giant hole stabbed into his chest just a couple months ago from a uh, 
believes an allergic reaction to something. So not the uh, not the kind of highlight he was looking for, but he is a rookie and uh, he's still working his way back. So it, I'll tell you this much. If they're relying on Zaire for like, you know, I think he played 18 minutes. If they have to rely on him for like any sort of minutes, it's going to be a problem for sure. It's a little offensive too, unrelated to him, that Greg Monroe didn't get any sort of play against his former team. What's up with that? Come on, Brett Brown. Don't be afraid. No, it's, it's fine. Greg Monroe is doing his secret agent work for the bench. Um, it was funny as soon as they added him, I think Philly lost their next two games. They lost to Atlanta, then lost to Milwaukee. So it was kind of like, all right, good job, secret agent um, Greg Monroe. And unfortunately, Sixers won yesterday by a lot, but it was also against the Bulls, which is like anyone can do that. That's an easy um, double. That's a yeah. Team job. <laughs> but another big thing I think was the bench of both Milwaukee and Philly. I think Philly's bench only scored 18 points and I mean, that happens when you have to force, you know, Mike Scott onto the starting lineup in replacement of Jimmy Butler. But Milwaukee had, I think they had like 40 points themselves. I mean, George Hill, 20. DJ Wilson had 11. He had a pretty, he had a stretch where he was pretty great too, which yeah, happy to see. Um, Tim Frazier, you know, I think if he's not playing 48 minutes, there's no point in playing him. But yeah, I uh, I think the one thing that I just gleaned from this past weekend, it started with the Hawks game is like, you know, I appreciate Tim Frazier and I appreciate that he is able to kind of hold down the fort slightly for like short periods, but for sure looking forward to when Malcolm is back and we don't have to rely on Tim Frazier for significant bench minutes uh, in the future. That would be awesome. So he's been a good stopgap and hasn't been a complete disaster, which is nice. But as soon as we get him, it, it's again, and we've talked about it all season. We're going to keep hitting on all these cliches, but just the depth of the team that, you know, you're able to absorb all these losses of like, you know, bona fide contributors, especially Snell and Malcolm Brogdon is the biggest name there. And you keep on rolling regardless. It's, you know, all credit to the coaching staff and to the front office and everybody else involved that Tim Frazier is able to run out for 48 minutes, have a pretty good game, and then, you know, kind of give you a couple more minutes here and there and not be a complete and total disaster. Yeah, I was going to say, with Tim Frazier being your fourth option at point guard, I mean, that's not too, too bad to have. And no. kind of like what you mentioned with Brogdon back, I don't think he really plays much in the playoffs. Um, Pat Connaughton also playing 30-something minutes isn't ideal, especially he was just getting toasted by J.J. Redick, which it's kind of hard because J.J. Redick is that kind of guy where if you give him a centimeter of space, he can get a shot off. But, yeah, with the reinforcements of Brogdon and Snell coming back, it will, it will definitely reduce that and kind of help the team. But – you kind of mentioned the depth, and part of that is because John Horst has done a fantastic job in the past 12 months assembling this roster. And I know you have a piece on it um, talking about how he could be a dark horse for executive of the year. So do you think Horst has that chance? I wouldn't even say he's a dark horse. He's got to be like leading the pack. I think so. Like you said, you can everybody can kind of go on a brew hoop and read my piece. But essentially, it was just a long kind of looking at all the steps that went along into building this team. And what's remarkable is that, you know, it wasn't even just all the moves this year. It was like, he sowed the seeds a year ago. And with the combination of DJ Eric and Sterling all kind of coming on board as his first three acquisitions, like each one had questions about them, but, you know, he held tough and he held on to each of them, whether or not, you know, maybe DJ didn't even have like a trade market to be moved or anything, but um, between those kind of three moves panning out and then, kind of keeping in mind all the different caponomics and kind of building a stockpile of second round picks and then using that to go ahead and get like a George Hill contributor kind of guy. And then waiting in, you know, kind of waiting for another team to detonate like the New Orleans Pelicans and striking and grabbing Nikola Mirotic. So I think, and and then on top of all that too, like the Brooke Lopez acquisition, like, can you get any savvier than that for the dollar amount? Like the production is crazy given how much he's getting paid. So I think of all of the different executives out there, um, and a lot of them are probably end up being like, it might be, uh, I can't, uh, Connolly over in uh, Denver and Masai Ujiri up in Toronto, just because they have like, Denver is kind of similar to the Bucks where everything kind of finally came together in Toronto, obviously with the big trade as well. But I would say of everybody in the field, horse has got to be definitely leading the pack for executive year. It's kind of hard to tell like, what exactly the criteria are usually it's rewarded after like a couple seasons work so um i think that helps out horse case but i think for sure he i, I think he's got to win it i'm not sure if there's any other conversation with somebody else who's going to win it to be honest yeah i think he should win it i the only issue i have is a lot of the moves that he made were kind of more on the margins kind of move like getting brooke lopez for what he paid them that's a big move and then he kind of followed up trading you know um John Henson and Delhi's contract to get George Hill. It's just kind of those kind of moves where it's like the John Henson and Delhi trade for George Hill. 
And then you flip Thon Maker for Nikola Mirotic and assembling all those second round picks, like getting Jody Meeks and a bunch of second. Like it's just a lot of those smaller moves on the margin, which you don't really think of because it's not really a splashy move. And then you turn around, it's like, wait, they they got all of these guys like signing Pat Connative for solo, Dante drafting him. It's just like all those marginal decisions, which, you know, for a contending team, those are that's what gets you into contention. Like it's not the home run moves, it's making those you know, fine margin kind of trades. And I think he should win, but I also can see, well, Masai Ujiri got Kawhi and Toronto was, you know, a top two team. And I think Denver also kind of like what you said, Denver's in the same boat as Milwaukee. So or like I, even Brooklyn, like finally pulling themselves out of the death spiral they've been in for a couple seasons, like to actually be a decent team, they might also get a little shine as well, but which it, is it, kind it, of fantastic considering Boston pillage the living crap out of brooklyn and all they might have to show for it is a second round exit this year yeah, I was gonna say, Ooh, you better hope no celtics fans are listening they're gonna uh, be jumping in the dm, <laughs> jump in the DM regardless <laughs> no i think i think kind of yes it's a lot of marginal moves but we also have to give horse credit for like you know getting boot and holes on board like yes it was kind of a match made in heaven and a lot of different guys would have been interested but to have the prescience to think that you know Budenholzer would be the kind of guy that would work best with this team and what you want to form. And then I think I was looking through and I think only like three or four guys on the roster don't have horse like fingerprints all over. Like he's constructed the roster almost from top to bottom besides like Giannis, Chris and uh, John Henson beforehand, but he's gone now. And I'm trying to think of uh, Tony Snell was a horse signing as well. So I think across the board, it's just impressive because his fingerprints are all over the roster. And the fact that he's been able to, corral the three owners and keep them on board and he was able to you know who knows how much credit he deserves but the fact that he probably played a role in getting kid out the paint at the time that he did and then being able to kind of wrest control from there to the coaching search and i think just overall the fact that he's in the conversation whatsoever is you know such a huge credit to him and uh i think everybody if you haven't already i'm sure everybody's pretty much taken back all the uh negative things i mean it's not really his fault it was more so just a really botched like search to find a GM and he was the compromise candidate and he drove a FedEx truck. So there's a lot of thing, things going against him when he first got hired, but all credit to Horst. I'm really, you know, glad he's in control. And, uh, and I'm confident that even though we got kind of a turbulent off season upcoming, I'm sure he'll be able to kind of thread the needle. No problem. Yeah, it was definitely a, um, kind of like what you said, his fingerprints are all over. Yeah. Besides Giannis, which, I mean, he was kind of part of the staff that did draft him. So he had a hand in that Middleton, also was another one that's going to be a big decision for horse and then Malcolm Brogdon, who the team, I think they drafted him the year before horse took yeah, over. him and Thon, him and Thon the year before, yeah. but it's kind of funny. Cause yeah, if it wasn't for the botch move, like if it wasn't for that surge, I don't think we would be as critical as we were at the beginning. It was just how things went down. And then you had Zanuck who looked like the successor and the, it was just like, if that search isn't a mess, I don't think we were, we would be as skeptical about horse as at, as we were in the beginning, but Getting Budenholzer was probably his best move so far. And I mean, that's why Budenholzer, in my opinion, should be the coach of the year. <laughs> and if not, I'd be surprised at who else you could even give the award to. Yeah, the only other coaches that I could think of would probably, again, it's it's going to be a lot of like the, especially for a coach and executive there, it's going to be pretty much the same three teams. It's going to be uh, Toronto, Denver, and us for the most part. Um, and I think Toronto, because Nurse was able to keep continuity, like, yes, he got a couple of different pieces and the roster isn't super duper changed, but you got Kawhi and Danny Green, you have to integrate those guys and to be able to kind of keep it rolling and continue at such a high level of success, even though he was on the staff previously. And then um, is it Mike Malone out in Denver, I believe? Um, yep. The fact that I think early in the season, for whatever reason, people were like, oh, is he like the right coach for this team? And I think he's kind of a notorious hard ass a little bit, but um, to be able to somehow keep it going for however many seasons now i think this is his third season as coach and uh finally put it together and kind of get the team over the top um i think all three are probably deserving but i would agree just because you go from a 44 you know has been kind of team like the bucks were and then all of a sudden you're by and far the best team in the nba that's such a crazy turn and like I hear a lot of people kind of pillaring it by saying that, oh, well, he, he made adjustments that like any competent coach would make or like, you know, uh, the small changes that anybody other than Jason Kidd was willing to make. And that might be true to a certain extent, but 
you know, he still had to manage like getting buy-in from Chris Middleton or like meeting Chris Middleton halfway to kind of get him more engaged and, you know, getting Eric Bledsoe to become this like defense first monster and all these different things. And then, you know, even just like end of the bench guys to be able to incorporate them and kind of flip them in and out of the rotation and still keep a high level of success. Um, I think all that should probably go in Bud's favor. And I, I too think obviously super biased, but I too think he'll probably end up winning and should win the coach of the year award. Yeah, I definitely think you should win it. I mean, looking at that Atlanta Hawks game from last week, that roster, yeah. I mean, it's still <laughs> yeah. a bunch of NBA players. That roster, though, the fact that he was able to coach them and almost get a win with the roster that he had, I think that's a clear testament to how good of a coach he's been this whole year. Like, he can get, you know, a couple G League guys, a couple guys that have been end of the bench, someone that everyone considered a bust a year ago, and Brooke Lopez, and just, like, get a bunch of second-rounders and bench guys to compete with an NBA team. I mean, yeah, it's the Hawks and the Hawks have been playing really well. So it's just, you know, that's kind of like my stand up moment of, okay, that's what a coach of the year does. He can take any roster that he can and make them competitive and have them in possessions positions to win. Um, kind of the same thing though. Like Mike Malone definitely deserves a shout out. Nate McMillan deserves a shout out. Uh, Kenny. Oh, yeah, Atkinson. Nate McMillan, I forgot to. Yeah. Kenny Atkinson. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different guys that like they might not win the award, but this, this, across the league there are a lot of really good coaching performances to kind of maintain or build up teams that you would think based on different circumstances might ne not be nearly as good as they ended up being yeah even like steve clifford who like he definitely deserves a shout to take orlando who looked just to be mediocre and pedestrian and at least put him in playoff contention that's impressive in itself yeah. um yeah so i think boone should win um coach of the year horse should win executive of the year and then we get and to Giannis, who I go. think should be MVP and a strong, at least second place in Defensive Player of the Year. Like, especially when he just swatted Embiid's nonsense multiple times. Like, come on. Like, that's got to be just his impact on the defensive end. Like, he doesn't rim protect the way that Embiid or Gobert does. But that's also because he's just has that presence where he can be there to force a contested shot or he can make a steal. It's kind of, and as we saw yesterday, like when Giannis isn't there, the def the defense kind of just suffers because of it. So, I think he should get MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. If I had to choose which one, I guess I would say MVP. But honestly, I, I think he should get both. Yeah, it'll be. I, I'm so beyond like all the award discussion in general. Like I talked when we first like started talking about Harden, even like two months ago. I was like, I really don't care about the award. Um, and I'll, I'm not sure if Giannis like secretly. I'm sure he actually does care, but he's doing a very good job poker facing it and acting like it's not that big of a deal to him whether or not he wins it. Um, I would agree that he's definitely for sure MVP. Like no question, he's it's just a two horse race at this point. And then. The issue with defensive player of the year, and again, this is another cliche, but people always say that DPOI kind of, it, it's a trailing award. Like it takes a while, like it recognizes people like a couple seasons or a season after they had had already a really good defensive season. So I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up going with like one of the basic Gobert or Embiid, just because like you said, they're more clear like rim protectors, even though Giannis obviously like his trailing kind of free flowing weak side defense, like just sky over and deny dudes all the time game after game is super exciting and is the linchpin that makes the defense actually function for the most part. Um, but I'm not sure if that's, it's not complex per se, but I'm not sure if that's too obscured to kind of get acknowledgement in this kind of award race. Whereas MVP, I mean, I'm not going to be upset even if he doesn't win it just because, you know, James Harden has had an awesome offensive season and he has kind of carried the Rockets. So I wouldn't be upset either way. I think he's definitely the one that's he's much more likely to win would probably be MVP, even though he's getting a little bit of defensive player of the year buzz. But I would say MVP is the one that he's got a legitimate shot in. Yeah. And I initially wanted him to win MVP just because I thought he deserved it. And I still think he does. It's getting to the point, though, that like Rockets fans are like the Rockets in general are just campaigning so hard for Harden to win. And I've just gotten tired of this. Like, you know what? I don't even care if they want to go that hard for James Harden to win an MVP award. K fine. It's <laughs> yeah. Harden definitely deserves it. And he's had a great season, but it's just like the fans just completely dismiss anything that Giannis has done. And I think that's more why I want to see Giannis win it just so it can just make them just feel awful and go into a tizzy. And it's kind of like last year with, you know, 
their campaign and they're taking a full page ad out like Adidas is for Harden. And it's like Daryl Morey is trying to like do everything in his power to like convince people. And it's like, and it's kind of like what Giannis said about Embiid being the unstoppable player. Like you shouldn't have to have anyone say it for you. Like you should just make the case yourself. And I think he has. So I go back and forth just because I don't care. And I think I've stopped caring because of how badly Houston wants it, but it would also be really, really funny to see Giannis win it. It's kind of like the rookie of the year situation with Brogdon and, oh my and God. Hard all over again. Like I just want to, I just want Milwaukee to win it just to be snarky about it, but I don't care. enough. And it's like, I care, but not enough, but there's a petty side of me. And I, I, I was going to say, are, are you caving to like the constant, like never ending people jumping in the mentions about, I don't know how, how bad is it on the brew hoop account? Like are Houston fans always in the, in the mentions about you talking about MVP? I know you, uh, you definitely do not hold back on the petty, which everybody fully appreciates, but you <laughs> just go right at some Rando rocket fan on, uh, on, on Twitter. He deserved it, first of all. Um, <laughs> but I think going into the game, because I know SB Nation had tweeted, like, who should be the MVP. And, of course, they tagged Brew Hoop. And because of that, my phone just blew up with notifications. And it was just funny. Like, every Rockets fan was trying to, like, dismiss Giannis, like, having a case. Like, they are just saying, it was, it's hard. It's not even close. So, like, well, no, it's definitely close. Or else this wouldn't be a question in the first place. So... During before the game, it was they were all in the mentions. And then during the game, they're still in the mentions. And by the end of the game, it's just like they were completely silent and non-existent, probably because Harden just did not show up to play and they lost badly. Um, so it's been fine right now. I don't think I've seen any Rockets fans in the mentions since, and maybe it was because of my brutal takedown of that one fan. It's one of those things where and this is no denigration of the general fan on Twitter, but this is a denigration of the general fan on Twitter, whereas like a lot of people probably were still in, stuck in the mode if you're somewhat of a casual or I'm trying to not like disrespect people, but like it's easy to see the gigantic points per game numbers and like just the scoring load and easily be like, oh, clearly he's the MVP. So I don't uh, and I definitely do not hate on Houston fans like standing for their own dude. It would be nice if they uh, tried to sort of acknowledge that there is because I think just like the general vibe of the fan bases it definitely seems like Bucks fans have been a lot more magnanimous about the MVP praise like people are like oh you know Harden's got an okay case and then like you know after a while with so many Houston fans just swarming the internet it's like okay never mind Harden's awful like it, it's uh it's been quite the conversation to watch from business but I get why people think Harden is deserving I too think he's probably deserving but I it just the general two-way impact of Giannis. And he, even then he still got a massive scoring load on his shoulders as well. So we don't need to hash out every single aspect of it. There's plenty of that going on everywhere else. But um, I think we're in agreement that Giannis probably, he definitely deserves it. He probably will edge it out. It would be awesome if he does. Um, and even if Harden wins, not the end of the world. Uh, and we'll move on and we'll just go on and get our six MVPs in the next couple of seasons. Right. And yeah, it's okay to stand for your own guy winning the award. Like I have no issue if you want to stand your favorite player on your favorite team. Totally fine. But just acknowledge that, you know, the other guy is a worthy winner also. I think that's really the biggest case for me. It's like you can I'm okay with standing for Harden, but at least acknowledge that Giannis has a very strong case for it. But that's just my opinion. And uh we will go to a short break to go to our wonderful ads that i'm sure everyone listens to 100 so we will go to our ads and come back and talk about the potential playoff opponents that milwaukee might have and we are back and riley had brought up a very good point during the break um that i did not think of but dj wilson as a most improved player candidate which I didn't think of just because I feel like it's going to go to either D'Angelo Russell or Pascal. Well, I think it's Pascal Siakam's to lose, but I think Wilson definitely could deserve a merit just because if you're talking about most improved, it went from a guy that everyone called a bust (laughs) and might not even be deserving of a G G league spot to providing critical moments for a contending team. Like that's, that is quite the improvement, but I, yeah, I think it's Pascal Siakam's to lose, but I can definitely see DJ Wilson getting some votes. Yeah. I think, I mean, it was mostly tug and cheek. I, I highly doubt DJ gets like any love at all, but for sure, like, like you said, we need to everybody again, just one final time. We all need to acknowledge that 
somehow, some way, DJ Wilson, who, like you said, everybody thought was a bust from the very beginning, he turned around and now he has his own legion of stands on the internet. Uh, so good for him. I'm really happy for him. Um, and for sure, if it was just a team-wide most improved player, you got to give to DJ because there's not anybody else who's deserving. And I don't think uh, there's anybody on the team who's a six-man-of-the-year candidate either, but I'm okay with just taking the top three awards. I'll settle, or even top four awards. I'll settle for the top four awards for the season, and maybe next year we'll get an MIP and six-man-of-the-year. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there's going to be a six-man because who is the Bucks six-man anyway? <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's kind of a rotating door between Ursa and Tony Snell and... Pat Connaughton? Yeah. Minnesota, George Hill, maybe a little bit. It's it's definitely... Uh, it's Wilson. Have, yeah, yeah. He'll pull... He'll somehow inexplicably come home with two awards. No, it's, uh, again, a testament just the way the play, team plays and the depth of the team that you're able to swap dudes in depending on how they're doing. So, haven't needed a six-man all year, and I'm A-okay with that. Yep, that's totally fine with me when your starting five is great and your bench is good enough that you can't even figure out who the six-man is. Um, but... Moving on to the playoffs, because by the time we release it, it'll be Monday. And we don't know when the Bucks playoff schedule will come out. So we're just going to assume the next time that we record a podcast, the Bucks will have already had the first playoff game. But right as of right now, the standings look like this. Bucks are in first. Toronto's second. Philly is third. Boston is fourth. Indiana's fifth. Brooklyn is sixth. Orlando's seven. Detroit, eight. Miami is nine and Charlotte is 10. Charlotte has not been eliminated yet, but they are two games out of a playoff spot. Um, I know there's still a lot of moving parts. Like I think Boston can still technically even get third if they went out and Philly loses. So there's that possibility, but we're going to focus on the teams that Milwaukee could see. So that's uh, Brooklyn, Orlando, Detroit, Miami, and Charlotte. As of recording, I know Miami plays Toronto, so we, depending on how that goes, that we might not have to worry about Miami. But I think out of all those teams, the most interesting would be the Nets, just because of their style of plays kind of mirrors what the Bucks do. And, you know, it takes a couple ridiculous shooting games for, you know, the Nets to take one or two of them. I still think the Bucks comfortably win in five at most. Like, I don't expect it to go further than six. And if it does, it's, like I said, something terrible happened to Milwaukee. Um, but out of all those teams, like Orlando has been the hot team since the all-star break. Um, Charlotte has, you know, they've never, they just refused to die. And granted it took two Jeremy lamb game winners against Toronto for them to even have a shot, which I <laughs> thought was hilarious. Cause if Charlotte were to make it and get the seven seed, I think Toronto might be in a full blown panic. <laughs> and then that you kind of have sweep coming. that four game first round sweep is coming for Toronto. Oh my goodness, that'd be the funniest thing in the world. Um, um, the Pistons have played better. It seems like Brooke, uh, Blake Griffin especially has been phenomenal in this stretch. Um, so there's still a team that again, they can pretty much play with any of the top seeds. I don't think they can beat the Bucks, but it's just interesting. It seems like Miami is the one team that's kind of fallen apart since because I know there is talk of Miami being, oh, there can be a threat to Milwaukee and Milwaukee would be scared of them and they might not even make the playoffs. So I think out of all those teams, Orlando is the team I think Milwaukee will end up facing the playoffs and the Nets would be the interesting one. But Milwaukee is going to win in four or five. So I guess it's not too big of a concern. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up the schedules right now because um, the Heat are playing the Raptors as we're recording and the Heat are down. So it's 23-22 with uh, Toronto. This will just become a uh, Toronto-Miami podcast today. <laughs> now, um, I would agree that, I mean, for me, I, I went from a couple weeks ago like, oh, it'd be kind of thinking about matchup. But at this point, it's, I'd agree that the only one that I really, quote unquote, don't want to play. But even if we did, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It would be the Nets just because... We've easily handled every single team at the bottom. And I think both Detroit and Miami have been struggling. Like I think Detroit is three or seven of their last 10 and they've lost three in a row and Miami has lost three in a row and they're five and five. So um, neither of those teams would necessarily fly into the playoffs, like on a hot winning streak, whereas uh, Orlando's eight and two over their last 10, you know, whether or not you believe momentum matters, that's a conversation itself. And a lot of the bottom teams you're playing against, they're like, they all have like, big lineup so that's kind of advantageous for the bucks where you don't have to worry about having to do a lot of small ball or you can kind of small ball them off the court um so i would agree in general that 
I'm not super worried one way or other, whoever they play. Um, Detroit, just so everybody knows, Detroit plays Charlotte, Memphis, and New York, or the Knicks to finish the season. Um, Miami plays Toronto now, and then Philly and Brooklyn. So that's Miami's got a tough, uh, tough remaining schedule. So I would assume Miami's going to stay out, and I don't know if it's going to be Orlando or Detroit, but either way, I'm, I'm not exactly like up in arms one way or the other. I think it'll be more important to watch and see kind of how everybody else ends up like all the other top teams in the east like who their matchups are because i could see like a nets toronto series that would be really interesting like philly i don't know orlando maybe not maybe not nearly as interesting but um i think just for long term like once you get second and for the eastern conference finals that's something i'm more concerned with than whoever the books end up playing yeah and i was gonna say orlando has two tough games they have Boston on the road and then um, Charlotte on the road. But by the time they play Orlando might not might have already clinched a playoff spot. So that's kind of like one of the interesting things to me. But it's definitely something that I think, yeah, kind of what you're saying, like it's not just who Milwaukee would play. It's kind of like what the rest of the Eastern Conference would get. Because, yeah, Brooklyn is a team that they can shoot their way into a game easily, but they can also shoot themselves out of it. And then you kind of have Philly where it's like, you know, the blueprint's there on how to beat Philly. You just got to make sure Embiid doesn't completely torch you and then just don't bother Ben Simmons. Make sure JJ Redick doesn't have any space. It's kind of like you you know how to beat Philly. You just have to have the execution and the talent to do it. Yeah. And then, you know, Boston and Indiana, I, it's going to, that one's going to be interesting because I feel like it doesn't matter who has home court because I don't think either team's good on the road and it's going to go seven regardless. So it's just a matter of can, like they're both pretty bad. Like Boston, I think is like 500 while Indy is 18 of 22, I think of the road at the moment. So it's definitely going to be a series that goes down to seven. It's just, can either of them conjure up enough offense to win on the road? Yeah. It's, I mean, just through, I think the only team that really would have like a super clear, uh, uh, maybe Toronto would as well in the first round, but the only team that really has like a clear, like, Oh, this will probably be a first round sweep would be the bucks. Like everybody else, Boston, the Pacers, maybe that ends up being a sweep just because Indiana is kind of finally running on fumes at this point, but they could surprise and win a couple of games, which would be awesome. But um, I think everybody else has tougher matchups than we do. And the longer that their series goes and the more kind of beat up without injuries, hopefully, but the more kind of beat up other teams get and kind of worn down as the playoffs go on, uh, I would definitely welcome it. So I think no matter if you play the Magic, the Pistons, the Heat, whoever it happens to be, I think the Bucks would get it in four, maybe five, if for whatever reason there was like a you know chance kind of hot shooting game, like you said. But um, it'll be interesting. I, we've talked about this throughout the season. The East playoffs should be awesome from top to bottom. Like even the first round is interesting, and then once you get past that, especially if the top four seeds advance, like that fourteen playoff will be crazy. Like every single game is going to be must TV or must watch TV. Yeah, I was going to say, unlike the first round in which I could easily see Milwaukee getting the NBA TV Sunday, 7 o'clock. Yeah, when uh, don't, say don't say NBA TV. Don't say That's all right. It. It's all right. I, it, it's funny because I think uh, Gabe was mentioning he'd rather have the game on Saturday. And I selfishly would either want Saturday, like an early Saturday afternoon or anytime Sunday just because Ford Madison plays late Saturday night. So I really don't want to try multitask if I don't have to. <laughs> but do you have a preference of what day they play? I don't know if it matters to you or because I know you're probably just going to watch the game at home. So uh, I don't know. There's hey, gonna be a group oh, hey, man. Are you not <laughs> driving down? Not, no, I'm not driving down. Are you saying I don't have a whole like Bucks crew up here that we go to local bars in the Minneapolis St. Paul area to watch? No, uh, I'm sure I, uh, if I put out a tweet on Brew Hoop and said, "Hey, there's going to be a watch party and Riley Feldman's hosting," yeah. people would show up. Uh, yeah, we, we wouldn't fit a lot of people in this apartment, but we could definitely fit a couple. It would be standing room only for sure, and uh, <laughs> everybody would have to bring a snack. No, I have entries for Ollie. And the entries for Ali as well. Yes. Um, I have absolutely zero preference for when they play. I guess uh, if you were, if you had a gun to the head, I would say Sunday just because you get more time to rest. But otherwise, uh, just bring on the playoffs. I'm excited for it. And it's nothing's more exciting than playoff basketball, the highs, the lows, the. I, I get so hyped up watching every single game. So hopefully, if it's a Sunday game, hopefully we hit the pod right after the fact just so we're so juiced. I can't wait. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. For me, like I said, anytime Sunday would be fine just because my day is open on Sunday. But if I had to do early Saturday afternoon, because I'm still on the fence of if I'm going to go and, you know, just meet up and get food with everyone, I'm not going to the game because 
tickets are really expensive and it was sold out within a heartbeat. So <laughs> are you saying are you saying the Bucks don't give Brew Hoop like four to five media passes? What the hell? Come on. Apparently not. I don't know. Like I might have to talk to Mitchell and Adam and be like, I think we should get another pass just in case. <laughs> this is this is the most uh, meaningful season the Bucks have had in decades. Don't you don't they want as much coverage as they can get? Come on. Yeah, I think we can take Gary Wolfel's pass, right? Like yeah. I think we should take his media credentials. <laughs> yeah, I uh I maybe you guys can like fight to the death over it or something. And maybe not to that. That's a little extreme, but maybe you can like arm wrestle Gary for it or something like that. Oh, I'd win in a heartbeat. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't watch out. Maybe Gary would just, he, he rolls up his sleeve and he's just yoked. Like <laughs> you don't even expect it. he's just gigantic biceps. But uh, I think, I think once we start talking about Gary Wolfel's biceps, we probably reached nearing the, uh, the end of the podcast. Do we want to talk about the thunder game at all? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen because the Thunder still have playoff seating to play for. And by playoff seating, I mean either getting six, seven, or eight. So I don't know how competitive Oklahoma is going to be. I can see Milwaukee kind of just giving Giannis and Chris and Bledsoe maybe like 10 to 15, maybe 20 at most. But like it's probably going to be a very much a rest game, just not taking any chances, making sure everyone goes in healthy. And if they get 60 wins today against Atlanta, then. That's yeah, fine. then it's going to be the Bonzi, Colson, Tim Frazier show all over again, guaranteed. Oh, please give me that for the last game of the season. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to end it. Yeah, I think, uh, so again, full context for everybody, we're recording before the Atlanta game. We did not write down whether or not the Bucks would win or lose. So hopefully the uh, the pre-game guessing podcast curse does not continue. But um, I'm going to say that the Thunder are going to be super tanking for the eighth seed to be able to face the Warriors in the first round. So I'm going to guess a 1-0 and week ahead. Kyle, what do you guess? I'm going to say the Bucks lose just because. Oh, oh, no. Here's my reasoning. Here's my reasoning. I did not put on the pod outline beforehand a win against the Hawks. So I did not jinx them, and neither did Adam. That's reason one. Reason two, I think the Bucks win today and get 60 wins, and they really have nothing more to play for. And I think they just rest everyone, not take any chances. While I mean, Oklahoma State will probably still throw Paul George and Westbrook and Adams for maybe like 25 to 30 minutes, which yeah. is going to be enough. Yeah, I was going to it's too bad Trayvon Duvall got waived because uh, we could definitely use him and then i don't know just some fans from the stands just have them out there like the full get some season ticket holders out there for like the full nba experience like, <laughs> you don't want to bring christian Wood back yeah 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 well maybe uh maybe new orleans will do us a solid and loan them back to us for a game that'd be that'd be uh so we can finally shut all the haters up and put together that 40 point game that we all know is latent within him and uh <laughs> back to new orleans and have the rest of the offseason off Oh, yeah. But I think that's going to be it for us. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Obviously, like and subscribe and download the Brew Hoop podcast. Also, listen to Buck's Film Room, uh, his podcast. That comes out on Thursdays. Ours comes out on Mondays. And Adam, speedy recovery. Hopefully, we didn't let you down. Um, otherwise, everyone have a great week, and we will talk to you next time. On the streets of Old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.